season Nothing to show but this brand new tattoo But it's a real beauty A Cincinnati cutie How it got here I haven't a clue Wasting away again in Margaritaville Searching for my lost shaker of salt Salt? Some people claim that there's a woman to blame. Now I think, well, it could be my fault. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses is now available on Amazon. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Uh, Rob Johnson wants me to tell you, Peter, that that brain teasers for Broadway geniuses will arrive tomorrow. Tomorrow on Labor Day (laughs) uh, at his home so he can start going through it. Yeah, he's, he's 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 going to have to labor a lot. Uh, these these are tough questions, uh, but nevertheless, you know, so many people get them, and uh, the book is dedicated to uh, all those wonderful listeners of Broadway Radio who have answered these questions over the years. So uh, <laughs> the ones who really really uh, take this very seriously are people I acknowledge early in the book. Oh, look at this uh, in our chat room, Sean Logan and. Steve Bell said they got their copy yesterday. Uh huh. <laughs> they, they're they're already on top of it. They're already on top of it. In fact, maybe I have my timeline backwards. And Rob, oh no, he said. You know, Rob says he's supposed to get it on Sunday. So uh-huh. that so he should be getting it today as well. So there it is. Uh, get your copy. We have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Brain teasers for Broadway geniuses. It's available now wherever. Finer books are sold. If you can find a bookstore where finer books are sold, that's another story. (laughs) All right. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's back from P-Town. He is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at fellowspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Welcome back from P-Town. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, some uh, performances up at P-Town a little later on in our show today. Oh, before we get started, I, I wanted to uh, say, like, last week's show was really a lot of fun. We had uh, listeners do reviews, uh, eight or nine listeners did reviews of shows that they've seen in and around all over the country from uh, from Broadway to Alaska. Uh, so take mm-hmm. a listen to that. Also, uh Yesterday, on Saturday, September 2nd, Jan Simpson's All the Drama came out on Patreon. She talks about the 1931 Pulitzer Prize winner, Allison's House, by the, what she calls, criminally negligent, uh, criminally neglected playwright, Susan Gladspell. Um, so uh, take a listen to that on Patreon, patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. 
And uh, Peter and Michael, I wanted to ask you, uh, Jan brought up in the uh, in uh, all the drama that the one of the original criteria for the Pulitzer Prize uh, was not it, that it was the best play. One of the criteria was that it was raised the standard of good morals. <laughs> right, which is why uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf didn't get it back in uh, 1963. There was a lot of controversy over it. In fact, two judges resigned because they wanted it to win and, and they said, no, the rules are different. And I, that's obviously changed as the years has gone on because there have been plenty of plays that don't uh, elevate the human experience that have won people's surprises. But really, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf died for um, their sins. I, I I emailed Jan as soon as I heard it, and I said, Jan, how did Tennessee Williams win two Pulitzers? That's a very good point, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, James, can I stop you for a minute, and yeah. can you rep- uh, repeat what you said about Susan Glaspell? Glaspell? Oh, so uh, Jan talked, yeah. Yeah, Jan- go on. Jan talks about the 1931 Pulitzer Prize winner, Allison's House, by the what Jan calls the criminally neglected playwright Susan Glasspell. Okay, because um, yeah, I said uh, it wrong. No, but but that's not also not why I mentioned it. I, as as I you said, I just got back from Provincetown, and one thing that I missed uh, that was about to happen was that Tyne Daly was up there, uh, and she was going to do a reading. Uh, with her friend Gail Strickland, the actress of Trifles yeah, by Susan Glasspell. That's the one which, that still gets done. Yeah. yeah, which is considered a seminal mm, uh, work sure in, Amer- yeah. of American drama, you mm-hmm. know, especially because it's by a woman. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I haven't seen it since high school. I remember it was in our textbook. Yeah, um, right. It did show up with those, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You have to wonder if she got paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 1916, I believe. So copyright wow. laws maybe were not as great back then. Wow. Isn't that yeah. But first, let's get over to our interview. With us this morning, we have a very special guest joining us. Arnie Burton is here. Broadway fans will know Arnie from Peter and the Starcatcher, The 39 Steps, mm. Machinal, A Free Man of Color, Amadeus, uh, a handful of off-Broadway things, including uh, Lewis, Lewis Dunn and Clarkston, uh, where he got a Drama Desk nomination for a featured actor. So, Arnie, thanks for getting up on a Sunday morning and chatting with us. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. <laughs> oh, you Except know. Except maybe sitting by a pool with a barbecue. <laughs> it is. It is. Other this... than that, I would... I would I would never wouldn't be anywhere else. It's a Labor Day weekend, and you are laboring because we were just talking about, you know, uh, even after you get off of Broadway radio, you are in tech for yes. Dracula, a comedy yeah, of terrors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And tech is like, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, tech is like the, the most <laughs> grueling week of a rehearsal process or really any of an actor's career. It's just it's really long hours. It's, you know, it's putting all the tech elements together. And this show is really, there's a lot going on. So especially for an off-Broadway show, there's a, it's quite complicated and quite beautiful. It looks fantastic, but it's, it's really, really long hours. Wait, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite uh, treat? Do you you like iced coffee or things like that? Because 
You know, you guys are running up at uh, New World Stages from September 4th to January 7th, and uh, and and it's going to be a hot day today. Maybe we can run up some uh, coffee or cookies to you. Well, you know what? I'm not a coffee drinker, but my addiction is I, I do love a Diet Coke. I'm not going to lie. The Diet Coke. We Zero can get those to you. Or even better, Diet Dr. Pepper. Ah, uh, now you're talking. <laughs> Arnie, what does Dracula mean to you? Uh, when was your first, if you could recall anything like that, your first memory of there was such a thing as Dracula? Did you see the, the movie with Bella Lugosi, et cetera, oh, et cetera? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is, besides that it's co-written by one of my good friends, Steve Rosen, is that I'm a true monster kid. And uh, uh, we're, we're uh, for people that don't know, we're a... Um, they call us monster kids uh, when we, the kids that grew up in kind of the 60s and 70s that discovered um, they released the universal horror movies uh, on TV in like the 60s and 70s. So and uh, a lot of us kids like uh, became uh, obsessed with monsters and I'm one of them. I still am. So I grew up on the uh, universal horror films, uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy uh, and all the mm-hmm. sequels uh, from then. And. You know, it, it was interesting because it also attracts monster kids are, are kind of by their nature, kind of shy kids and kind of outsiders, which is definitely I was growing up in Idaho at the time. And I was very, uh, very shy, uh, didn't have a lot of friends and monsters kind of became my wow. friend because monsters are, you know, uh, they've actually written a book about this, about like um why certain kids attach themselves to monsters. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because they're the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a kid, I, I don't think I consciously thought that I did mm-hmm. recognize something in all of them that they are outsiders. Most of them just wanting to be a part of the human race, which is how I felt a lot of the time. So I remember yeah. that um, I think we've discussed this before on this podcast, that there were baseball cards in yeah, the sure. 60s of the uh you know of all the monsters i remember uh, you know trading the 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 mummy for the phantom of the opera uh, and things like do you remember those arnie oh, yes yeah totally I, and i also would i would get uh famous monsters of filmland which was like the uh, magazine that came out every month mm. and i would cut out uh, all the pictures in it, black and white pictures, and my I just did a whole collage of one whole uh, room of my wall, and, uh, <laughs> just bow down before the greats. Uh, <laughs> my parents were really worried. I have to tell you, that was were, my next question. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So said, oh my god, we have got one strange uh, kid. He wants to be in theater, and he uh, thinks of nothing but monsters and theater. <laughs> well. Now, this is interesting, too, because how does a boy in Idaho get interested in theater? I would imagine there aren't that many opportunities. There aren't. You know, I I can tell you again, I can pinpoint exactly when I first knew what theater was, which is when uh, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol first Uh, came out. Yeah, yeah. Julie score. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the wraparound is Mr. Mr. Magoo. Is is doing a Broadway production of of uh, the, a Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. So, and even though it was a cartoon, the opening graphics of New York and Broadway and all the marquees uh... was just. And then the Julie Stein music was just like, uh, uh, what is that? And uh, <laughs> and again, that's what first made me think that uh, I love this place. It's called New York, and the theater looks fantastic. And uh, 
Yeah, so that was that was my first inkling because you're right, there was nothing in in Idaho to uh, uh, to kind of um, support me in in love for theater at all. School plays. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Starting in like junior high is when I did the Music Man. Was my first um, school. <laughs> and it, and were... again, my I'm, you know I was very lucky because my mom uh, was very supportive. Because, as I said before, I was very shy. So she noticed in my dad that once I started doing theater, um, it, it just got me out of myself. It got me out of my shell. It got me, you know, connecting with other people. So they were always very grateful that I found. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First trip to New York was when then? Uh, oh. A young kid or? Uh, no, I was, I was, I was a burgeoning ad- adult. Uh, I was <laughs> Was it 70, 79, I think? Uh-huh. It was because uh, I know I saw Sweeney Todd three mm-hmm. times that week. I was there here just a week, uh, and I saw Sweeney Todd three times. I couldn't get enough of it. Because, again, wow. it was like uh, it, it put together my two loves, which was like horror and Oh, theater. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you know the album before you saw the oh, show? Oh, my God. Every, every uh-huh. As soon as uh-huh. that album was released, I uh, listened to it. Um, and so I knew it all. Uh, yeah, it was Andrew Lansbury was still doing it. I don't know if Len Carrier was still doing it. But then I did see, uh, because I saw it three times that week, I kept going back. And, mm-hmm. and her understudy went on, who was... Marge Redmond. Marge Redmond. Yeah. Marge Redmond. She, was <laughs> yeah. she was great. She was fantastic. She was. I saw her do it, too. Yeah, I agree. Okay, but where does Dracula fit in these monsters? Uh, top place, bottom of the pile, in the middle, what? Um, I would say, uh, no, he's he's right up there. Uh, kind Good. of the, the, the top ones for me are um, The Mummy. I would go first, Frankenstein and Dracula, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's right up there. Because uh, there was something, you know, I mean, if you watch the 31 movie, it's so crazy because it's, it's so slow moving. It's mm. like in a great way. It's like it's all atmosphere. And it's, you know, there's no soundtrack. They didn't really do set. Sa- this is 1931. So they didn't mm-hmm. really do soundtracks yet, like behind everything. So it's, it's, it's just, you just kind of hear the film really, you know, the, the, the graininess of the film. <laughs> yeah. Slow, and Bella Lugosi talks so slow, but beautifully. And um, I, there's something really seductive and kind of dreamscapey dream world about uh, that 31. I recommend anyone to, to watch it. Um, yeah. If you, uh, I, I rewatched it again recently and I, was reminded that the only music um is at the beginning and it's the the um the the swan lake yeah swan lake. Right? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um now when you say that uh, steve rosen is a bit of a buddy did he write this part for you in fact well he did um he told me uh that he uh wrote wrote it with uh my voice in mind mm-hmm. uh which is which is always nice, you know. When and it helps an author too, by the way. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah. So that he said he and, and Gordon Greenberg, who co-wrote it and is directing it, uh, yeah, had me kind of in mind when they wrote it. So what's the part? Who are you? Well, parts. Is, I uh, was going to say that because <laughs> it, only Dracula is named on the website, and then there's four actors: actor one through four, with uh, Andrew Keenan Bolger, Ellen Harvey. Arnie and uh, Jordan Boatman. So the right. four of you get to do multiple roles. You get to do multiple roles. I've kind of, this is like become uh, 
like it or not, a bit of my sock and trade. Well, yeah, <laughs> 39 I, steps, sure. 39 <laughs> steps all started it. And it's like, you know, it's nice because it's for character guys. You know, there's all these plays where, you know, they discovered we want to keep writing characters. And, you know, you can't just do two, three character plays. But if we can write, you know, 12 character plays, uh, you know, in this case, like uh, 30, 40 character plays, you can have, you know, actors, character actors play all the parts. So um, it's so it's been great. Um, uh, let's see. What was the question? Oh, so my parts in this. So I, I get to be um, I because it's all kind of gender swapping through the whole thing. So I play um, Mina Westfeld, who is the uh less attractive sister of Lucy Westfeld. <laughs> and then I play uh, Dr. Van Helsing, but she, in this version, she's a woman. So it's Dr. Jean Van Helsing. It sounds to me almost like this might end up being a little somewhat similar to the mystery of Irma Vep. Yeah. I think that was a lot of their um, inspiration is Charles Ludlam, uh, Charles Bush and mm. the Nine steps uh, kind of, um, uh, that that's kind of their takeoff point, and then of course with a little, I think Monty Python and Mel Brooks thrown in that thrown in the blender, <laughs> start off and maybe some wheatgrass, and then you know. You know just a movie. And we should say here that the genre is really uh, comedy and not really horror. Yeah, yeah, but you hopefully know. that's why I was saying like Tech Week has been like so. Not, I, I wouldn't say grueling. I mean that's way too strong a word but it, it because the tech is so beautiful like the set is very the colors are very rich the, the it, and it does create a mood i have to say that so so it is hopefully it's it's funny but hopefully there's the story told and it's not just laughs i and there's actually some parts that are kind of moving and and, and hopefully it's a little creepy too there'll be a lot of fog a lot of stage fog a lot of special effects a um, lot of lightning, a lot of thunder, a lot of wolves, a lot of bats. Um, so it should be fun, especially like for around Halloween. I think people will have, you know, a kind of fun time in the dark, you know. Do they when you sell, say- do they sell uh, blood drinks at the concession stands at intermission? <laughs> no, but I'm writing that down right now. And <laughs> okay. Official Dracula blood drips. Blood yeah. orange martinis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. blood orange exactly. as well. Yeah. Michael, you were going to say something. What was it? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. When you say a lot of bats, can -hmm. you clarify? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's basically exactly what I said. There are a lot of bats. (laughs) How we're able to, like, uh, um, uh, manipulate them is all kind of fun. Because it's also one of those things like, you know, how do you make, you know, bat a bat fly through the window and then then, uh, terrorize uh, the people in the room and then fly out again, you know? Um, and so that's kind of fun how, you know, uh, I think the set designer and uh, Gordon, the director, have kind of realized all that, you know. Uh, so James Daly's playing uh, Dracula. We didn't mention James before when we talk about the actors. Uh, and uh, does he uh, head out into the audience and bite people on the neck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think we go that far. I think we would like, because wasn't someone like sued when the, in Cats when someone yes. went out <laughs> to the audience and touched yeah, someone? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Those days are gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, now, some people may want him to because he's he's very um, tall and good looking. He's a sexy Dracula in this one. Um, uh, so there may be some, some uh, someone may want him to, but uh, no, mm-hmm. he doesn't. <laughs> Oh, sexy Dracula, that's a that's, 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 that's a good marketing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What were you saying, Army? I'm sorry. Huh? 
What did you, what did you just say about James? I, I just said it's not like Mary Poppins, so there's no like flying out over the uh-huh. this one. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, I see. You know, but it's a but it's a smaller theater, so you're very close to the through the stage, um, so you're never that far away from us. You know, uh, it, you can go across the hall to a gazillion bubbles and bring some exactly. of that in. Exactly. Exactly. New World Stage is a show for everyone. <laughs> I, so, I, have say, I have done like two shows. Yeah. Two other shows in, in, in that one in that space and one, the one next door and the gazillion bubble show has been there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole backstage smells of bubbles. It's <laughs> like of bubbles. Do you ever try to count the gazillion? No, you know, I've never seen it. So I've, <laughs> I, I've just seen them backstage and I've seen them prepare and I smell, you, you can't get away from the smell of the bubbles. It's everywhere. You know, it occurred to me that uh, when you came to town in 1979, Dracula was still playing. Uh, was, <laughs> um, <Okay>. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it was still at the, uh, what was then the Martin Beck theater. So I oh was my, I mean, that's really surprising. I didn't go see it because I was also in love with Edward Gorey. Uh, uh, you know about this then. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I understand the lore of Sweeney Todd, too. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was just too, too much. It's like, and there were all these shows. What else did I see that first time? I saw that there was a revival of Oklahoma. Right. And I think, was Night and Day, that Tom Stoppard play playing then, with the one with Maggie Smith? Mm, that's a good question. Um, my guess would be that was later, but... Uh, that was later so, on my second trip. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, because I did, maybe it was the Elephant Man. Um, maybe it mm. met Matt, Matt I can't remember the, everything I saw. But I kept going back to Sweeney Todd. I just couldn't stay away. Well, actually, no. Night and Day was uh, November of 79. So, um, yeah. So, so, yeah. And I was, I, I think I was, this was, um, this was, I think it was January or February of 80. So mm-hmm. that's when I would have been there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for checking on that, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> well, Arnie, I want to thank you for joining us on Broadway Radio. It's really wonderful to have you. You are very busy with opening night coming up on September 18th over at New World Stages. It's uh, performances start September 4th, so tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Uh, through January 7th at New World Stages, uh, right in the heart of the theater district. So, uh Please stop by and see it, and we'll have a link to their website, which is DraculaComedy.com. Thank you so much, Arnie. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm so sorry you're working on Labor Day. Oh, uh, well, you know what? As an actor, you can't complain if you're working. Absolutely. So. That's true. Right. <laughs> Knock on wood, especially after the, the pandemic and everything. Yeah. It's just, I'm just grateful. So thank you guys so much. It's been fun. Come in. Stepped on a pop top. Sorry, that's my bad. In our review section michael you got out to central park to see the tempest so tell us about this production well this is one of those wonderful public works productions um of which the public and oscar eustace are very very proud uh he uh there's a note in the program by oscar eustace that says that these shows are based on a profound thesis that being an artist isn't a special talent it's a deep aspect of every human being uh and so these shows have a a core of professional actors but then they also have very large casts um featuring uh people of 
every conceivable age, <laughs> ethnicity, uh, economic group. Um, and it's a really, really, really wonderful thing. Uh, what they sometimes lack in polish, uh, they certainly make up for in, in wonderful joy of being on stage and enthusiasm and all of that. So it's uh, it's always really great to be at one of these shows. And, and of course, they're also perfect for the Delacorte Theater at Central Park, which is such a a quintessential public space and in fact oscar spoke before the show and he reminded um everyone that that uh everyone every citizen of new york really owns um the the delacorte you know as part of central park uh so so really really it was great i um i i like this show a lot i um especially enjoyed the score uh with music and lyrics by benjamin velez um Peter, uh, uh, you would have been thrilled that all of the lyrics rhymed. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) My hero. Yes. I, I, I thought of you like halfway through the first number and I was, and I kept waiting Uh Uh (laughs) for a false rhyme, but there, there weren't any, um, boy, Ben. And not only that, uh, uh, the, you know, not only did they rhyme, I thought the lyrics were really quite wonderful. Um, for the, for the most part and also the music very poppy very accessible um interesting uh this was not the most cohesive uh show uh and co- the most cogent show in terms of the writing i felt like the opening and the closing numbers were really excellent and, and really um were very appropriate to the story of the tempest uh but a lot of the rest of it, I thought, was maybe a little too jokey and too comic. There was a very, very heavy emphasis on the comedy. Um, and one can understand why, but I just didn't think that that worked very well. Um, also, uh, you, you know, I, I I forgot to go back and check, but um, isn't isn't it supposed to be um, a, a basically a desert island where Prospero uh, uh-huh. and Miranda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. You know, but see, we have these hundreds of people on stage here <laughs> um, as I guess natives or something. Uh, and so m- maybe it wasn't the best choice for a public works uh, show in that sense. Uh, the gold standard for me was the As You Like It that Shayna Taub wrote. I thought that was absolutely fantastic in every way and uh, certainly lends itself more um, to uh, a large cast like that. But anyway, uh, here we have a Renee Elise Goldsberry uh-huh. playing Prospero, mm-hmm. uh, Prospero as a woman. And, and of course, on any you know literal level, it, it really doesn't make sense. She's supposed to have been the Duke uh, of Milan. And so if nothing else, she, you know, if she had been the ruler of Milan, she wouldn't have been called a Duke, uh, you know. Uh, so there's all of that. But if you can get be- beyond that, um, and she makes it easy to get beyond that because Renee is so charismatic. She was fully in command of this role. Her singing voice sounded better than ever. Uh, to me. And I always say she's still one of the best Mimi's and Ren I ever saw. 
uh, as I remember, but I don't have to remember because happily she is the one um, who is captured in the live video of Rent, the one that was made of the final Broadway cast, uh, not as opposed to the uh, actual film version. Uh, so she's just terrific, even if maybe you don't think it makes complete sense for Prospero to be um, a woman. Anyway, uh, also, this is not my first time seeing Renee do Shakespeare in the park, because I remember her very well in Two Gentlemen of Verona. The mm -hmm. Galt McDermott uh, musical of that years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was great to see her back. I, I, I'm told, um, as we've discussed frequently, I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm told she's been busy on TV uh, lately. Uh, and this is her first uh, live show, her theater show, live theater show in a while. So um, really, really great, great to have her back. Uh, and I would say the cast was... Um, Quite strong overall uh, and well-directed by Laurie Woolery. Uh, the only um, person that I didn't like was this fellow who played Ferdinand, uh, who I thought was quite severely miscast as a romantic lead. Um, Jordan Best is his name. But Theo Stockman is Caliban. Naomi Pierre as Miranda, Sabrina Cedeno as Trincolo, uh, jo Joel, I'm told his name is pronounced Joel, Joel Perez uh, as Stefano, our, our friend from Fun Home uh, and other things. Um, Antonio was played by Anthony Chapman II, Tristan Andre as Sebastian, Susan Lynn as Gonzalo, Joel Frost Alonso, and uh, Joe Lampert as Ariel. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed being there. As we've heard, um, the Delacorte will be closed for 18 months. Uh, so that includes all of next summer. And uh, a little bit of eavesdropping. I sat directly in front of Oscar Eustace. <laughs> um, and at one point, I heard him speaking about the renovation. And I didn't hear all of it. But one thing I did hear is he said that the number of wheelchair uh, spaces is going to be greatly mm -hmm. increased. And he fa in fact, he said the best seats in the house will be um, for people in wheelchairs. And I thought, well, that's great. But I, I did wonder, well, you know, what if they don't fill those spaces in any particular performance. But I guess, I assume what they'll do in that case is they'll just bring in regular chairs to fill up the the extra spaces. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new Delacorte. Yeah, I, it's going to be wonderful. It's, you know, hmm. next, next summer is going to be, we'll be a little bit sad not to have something there, mm -hmm. but two summers yeah. from now, we should be good to go. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know we've we've lived this long without without our uh, our, our theater in Times Square, which would I, I totally blank. Uh, oh, the Liza's palace, the, palace, <laughs> Liza's theater, the palace. <laughs> well, on that Judy's. note, James, I, I I went to see the Tempest with Robbie Roselle, and he said uh -huh. um, he said you know the signage is now up at the palace, oh, so that must have just it. happened, yeah. just happened. If people yeah. want to walk by there, you'll you'll see some kind of signage, some kind of marquee, apparently. On Forty Seventh Street. I well, or maybe both. I I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I would imagine both. Don't you think? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. But I know the entrance is going to be on Forty Seventh, right? 
Right, because the whole point yeah. of mo- yeah, yeah, was yeah. to have, have yeah. more retail space on mm-hmm. on Broadway. Yeah. We'll see if it gets rented. Yeah. Well, I you know Phantom of the Opera first first tenant. You heard it here first on Broadway Radio. Is that right? That's what I'm thinking. Are you serious? That's what I'm thinking. Thinking, <laughs> but you haven't heard uh, words to that effect. This is just your inference. He's not saying anymore. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. <laughs> remember that song? As, remember, as that cr- song? remember Blood Brothers? You remember? I'm not saying a word. <laughs> yes. As Chris says in the Ritz, honey, you can die with your secrets. You know, so <laughs> it's fine. At least it's not that Marilyn Monroe song. Uh-huh. Oh, you don't like that, huh? No. They just, no. They just did it. You know, way oh, too really? Often oh, Blood Brothers. Would, well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I mean, didn't even didn't even Forbidden Broadway do something on that? Yes. 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 <laughs> I'm sure it did. I think I speaking mentioned of it. which. Speaking of which. <laughs> yeah. Michael, what were you saying? Oh, they they just did Blood Brothers on Staten Island, and I, I was going to go because I knew several people in it, but I couldn't make it, and I was kind of relieved because I could not sit through those Marilyn Monroe songs again. <laughs> you know, I tell you, when I saw it in Barcelona, the the person, uh, the woman doing it, I lean, needless to say, I don't know her name, really threw herself into it in a way that uh, had such greater bite rather than resignation that seemed to be in uh, everybody else I saw. So mm. anyway, if there's a revival in Barcelona, I recommend it. Mm. Hey, Peter, where are you going? <laughs> yes, it was great fun uh, when that was happening. <laughs> when I, uh, Linda, Linda, every morning. <laughs> Peter, where are you going? Barcelona. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, it was yes, great. I, I also, I also saw um, uh, art there and uh, and a production of Peter Pan that was not the Peter Pan we know, neither uh, Peter Pan musical that we know. But anyway, let's get back to what we were talking about. Which was Forbidden Sondheim. Yes, so, indeed. Peter, you gave us a brief uh, review of it last week, but Michael, you also uh, have seen it. So why don't you both talk about uh, an in-depth of Forbidden Sondheim? This was over at Don't Tell Mama. Right. And of course, Michael's the authority on Forbidden Broadway, having literally written the book on it. <laughs> Why, well, thank you. Yes. And I did see, as I mentioned, a, a, a presentation of this version in a, a rehearsal studio a couple of months ago. But now Gerard brought it back to uh, Don't Tell Mama for it was originally going to be two performances. The demand for tickets was so great that they had to add an extra performance. I'm not surprised. It was certainly packed the night we went. That was the what? Yeah, we went to the added one. Ah, yeah. Ah. So I'll let Peter go first since I uh, talked about it last time. Well, um, of course, in a way, this is um, a forbidden uh, Broadway greatest hits because a lot of this material we uh, have heard over the years. But it was great to hear it again. And you know, <laughs> certainly, Gerard has proved himself as a Tony awarded lyricist, and um, his contributions to this art form have been immense. But um, in a strange way, I also enjoyed hearing the melodies of Sondheim one more time. So that was mm. great, too. Um, so anyway, yes, indeed. Uh, we had Ann Miller singing I'm Still Weird, Elaine Stritch, Broadway Maybe, Bernadette Peters to Stephen's ears as opposed to Buddy's eyes. 
uh, Mandy Patinkin's Sondheim Blues, as opposed to Buddy's Blues, and Angela Lansbury, The Worst Shows from London, which indeed uh, <laughs> did happen. Tremendously uh, talented cast. You won't be surprised to hear that Christine Petty was there, since she has done it uh, in New York and L.A. and Australia even, you know, um, and got a Drama Desk nomination, and um, which uh, certainly was well-deserved. But there were uh, people that um, that I didn't um, know. Um, Danya Jaray Dantzler, I thought, was really, really uh, terrific. And um, But otherwise, uh, there were some other veterans as well. And I guess you know these people well, don't you, Michael? Uh, Chris Collins-Pizzano, Jenny Lee Stern, and Michael West? Yes. Yeah, that Chris guy is terrific. He's a fairly recent addition I to see. the family. But Michael... Um, and Jenny Lee, and uh, who was the other one you mentioned? Uh, no, that's uh, those are the. Oh yeah, those are the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They they've all. Uh, Gerard is very loyal. Uh, when he finds good people, he sticks with them. <laughs> well, and apparently they're loyal to him too. You know, I mean, so that's really something. And speaking of that type of thing, Fred Barton, who was an astonishing yes. musical director and pianist, uh, it was great to see him again. Now, what was really interesting about this to me was the fact that um, even though it's forbidden song time, it wasn't all song time. No, because what did um, <laughs> what did Gerard do? He had uh, Stephen Sondheim uh, come back to life, so to speak, and react to contemporary shows. So here's where um, Gerard got in uh, his spoofs of Some Like It Hot, Six, Camelot, and New York, New York as well. So it was um, pretty up to date for a section of the show. And um, I thought those were terrific. Did you, Michael? Well, it's interesting you mentioned it. To me, the only negatives were uh, two of those numbers. The one uh, about six. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, that's probably just because I can't stand that show. So I don't mm-hmm. even want to see anything about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I, um, although I thought the uh, Kimberly Akimbo number was very clever, uh, he had uh, Victoria Clark uh, come out and sing um, to the tune from Gigi, I'm glad I'm not old anymore. <laughs> Instead of I'm glad I'm not young anymore, young anymore. Mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was very clever, but it I, I don't know it just seemed um, like it didn't fit in with the rest of them. I suppose that's true of all of the uh, those non Sondheim numbers that he did, but I I just loved seeing Camelot skewered so much. I bet you did <laughs> that <laughs> that I didn't mind it. <laughs> I didn't mind it. And if this were 15 years ago and he did a spoof of Camelot, you would have uh, relished it too, uh, since that has um, not been one of your um, choice musicals. Yeah, but but yeah, to make it clear, I'm referring to this recent production. Which oh, I, I know. Thought, and I and and again to make it clear, although I have very mixed feelings about the original. I think it's vastly superior than uh-huh. what we just recently saw. See, you were lucky and you didn't know it. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was a subtitle, Merrily We Stole a Song, which indeed um, became something you heard early in the show, which, uh, and what could be more accurate than that? You know, that they, uh, you know, I remember um, I was doing a, uh, a debate um uh, somewhere on, uh, I don't remember where it was anymore. But anyway, uh, Gerard was on the panel as well, and it was it was literally a bait with with real Robert's rules of order and all that kind of stuff. And it was, um, are we entering a new golden age of the musical? And I remember saying to him, "So, 
what are you doing next? And his eyes half closed with a glazed look. And he shook his head sadly and said, forbidden Broadway beats a dead horse. You know, meaning, you know, like I've done so many of these. And yet it shows that he's still got the talent and he's still got the verve. And, uh, and we're all grateful for it. The uh, one of my uh, favorite numbers in this one was the Sweetie Todd uh parody the parody of the current production which is called sweetie todd mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um uh the 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 gentler version of sweeney uh and, and there are lines there's a song like that uh i hear you josh groban and uh, then uh, very sweetly in your fluffy hair <laughs> all right so uh that was just a, a couple of performances, as Peter and Michael had mentioned, and hopefully we'll get it back on a on a stage near you very soon, and we'll let you know if that happens. Michael, you headed over to the Signature Center, where you went to the Alice Griffin Jewel Box Theater at the Parishing Signature Square Signature Center. <laughs> That's the official name. It's longer than anything else. Uh, to see Pay the Writer. Uh, so tell us about this. Well, I um, I don't have a lot to say about it. I would say the uh, production was a lot better than the play by Tony O'Dell, a writer who has very, very um, excellent credits as a, a novelist and also as a, uh, a, a screenwriter. But um, I think the big problem here is that, you know, uh, the rules of construction for a, a stage play uh, are very different than for uh tv or or film or or for a novel and she could not seem to um crack that uh this is the story of a a decades-long uh relationship between a writer and his agent a writer is played by ron canada the agent played by brian batt and the other um above the title star is marcia cross who plays um the ex-wife of the writer uh, and there was a lot, uh, I, I think it was one of those plays where, uh, uh, I would say every scene was very enjoyable, but they just did not fit, seem to fit together. And it seemed all very kind of hodgepodge and, and, uh, schematic and just, uh, episodic. Uh, so, um, and also, um, oh, here's an, an interesting thing that the title didn't seem to have anything to do with the content. Uh, when I first heard this title, I thought maybe it had to do, uh, it was a really, really new play and it had something to do with the issues that we're currently dealing with, with the writer's strike, um, you know, mm-hmm. SAG and, and all that, and all those, uh, the, the, uh, the WGA. Uh, but no, it's got nothing to do with that. And there's only one scene, uh, where the, uh, the writer character, Ron Canada m- mentions in passing, he says, pay the writer, but it's not about him not being paid. Uh, that's certainly not the major or even the minor point of this play. So I'm not sure why that's the title. Um, and in fact, I, I uh, happened to run into uh, uh, two of the cast members last night and I, and I asked them if that was always the title and they said, yes, it was. So it's not something that she affixed to it just um, in the hopes that people would think it was about the, the WGA strike. Um, anyway, uh, the, um, so I think that this could be a, a wonderful play 
if it had a, maybe a dramaturg attached to it to uh, focus it more uh, in, in the way that a, a stage play needs to be focused uh, in terms of the script. Um, the other actors in it, Stephen Hawke, Miles G. Jackson, Stephen Payne, Danielle J. Simmons, and Garrett Turner. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, oh, here's an interesting thing that no one else but me seems to have noticed. Um, <laughs> one of the producers is Mitchell Maxwell. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, I won't say any more about him, but if you Google him, uh, you might find some really interesting things about his past, uh, which was some of which was really quite shady. Um, so hopefully those days are behind him and uh, there won't be anything happening with this one in a negative way in that sense. <laughs> All right. So uh, next up, Peter, uh, you're mm-hmm. going to review an album, uh, Jeff Harner's new uh, album, A Collective Sigh. Jeff Harner sings Sigh mm-hmm. Coleman, which is available from Prius Classics. So tell us about it. Oh, it's terrific. Um, what's wonderful about Jeff Harner, who uh, has certainly been very loyal to the Great American Songbook, is that he doesn't do the songs that you expect him to. All right, of course he does um, every now and then. I mean, obviously, I mean, here with Cy Coleman, you do get Witchcraft, uh, a very famous song. A pop song didn't come from a show. Um, but he, he goes off the beaten track uh, so wonderfully. And uh, Exhibit A, Rhythm of Life from Sweet Charity. Is this the first time the song has been covered by anybody? I assume so. Um, I certainly <laughs> haven't run into it. So yes, for every The Best Is Yet To Come, which he does superbly as well, you do get, and here's what's most interesting to me, um, and the, it, it's only one of the reasons to buy the album, uh, is So Little Time, a song that was cut from Barnum. Uh, the 1980 musical. And, uh, you know, when do we get a chance to hear cut songs from Barnum? I'm not very often. Um, you, you also get, um, Our Private World, uh, from the, on the 20th century. And that one, he's matched with, uh, Liz Calloway, because indeed Our Private World was a duet between John Cullum and Madeline Kahn, at least for a few weeks, and, uh, Judy Kay for many more weeks, and even Christine Ebersole for a performance or two, uh, which I saw her do, and she was terrific. Anyway, so, um, uh, my personal property, which was written for the movie A Sweet Charity, uh, here we have to also credit Alex Ryback, one of our most valuable um, musical directors, and here he arranged and orchestrated the entire album, but he did this one as, boy, um, this one is a term that may not mean anything to a lot of people, but it sounds to me like uh, if you want to dance to it, you would be dancing the frug. Uh, Google it. Um, I can't explain <laughs> it, but nevertheless. Um, but it's a terrific orchestration, so that's really uh, quite good. So um, it's uh, by the time I finished listening to my personal property, which is which is matched with my city, um, a song from um, Seesaw, which when you think of it, those two things dovetail because my personal property is all about New York City and here you have my city. Uh, the song after that was it's, It Amazes Me and this album did exactly that. So he's still in wonderful voice and um, a charming, charming performer. So um, I do recommend highly on PS Classics um, a collective sigh, C-Y. Um, and uh, as we all know, size matters. <laughs> 
We uh, we spoke with Jeff Harner twice on Broadway Radio uh, just about a year ago. Oh, yeah. So I uh, I have those links in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to them. And it it seemed like uh, from the show notes there we were talking to him Sondheim just as he was just as he was, pref- uh, as he was uh, preparing to do this album because the episode name is Jeff Harner on returning to Cy Coleman after fifteen years. Right, so, but he had also just done his yeah, incredible his, Sondheim show, uh, yeah. which also yielded an album, which you also have to get because it's fantastic. <laughs> Speaking of being something being fantastic, Michael, <laughs> up at the fan, uh, up at P Town, you saw the Fantastics, but you saw the Fantastics with a twist that uh, Peter had seen mm-hmm. a different version of it a year ago. So tell us about your experience with the Fantastics. Yeah, well, I, uh, to clarify, Peter had seen a different production of the same yeah. version because this is uh, a, a revision by Tom Jones, uh, who, since he wrote the lyrics and the book, uh, was able to revise it on his own uh, now that Harvey Schmidt, who wrote the wonderful music, uh, has been dead for several years. Uh, and so, yes, um, uh, Tom revised it for a production in in Flint, Michigan. Uh, just w- uh, when was it again? Uh, June of last year. Yeah, yeah. just that recently. Um, and so it was, uh, it seems to have been his final project uh, of any note. And uh, this is the point of this revision is that rather than a boy and the girl, we have two boys in love with each other. Uh, and since we're using losing that female role, um, to compensate, the two fathers are now two mothers. Uh, and I will actually read the um, the cast of this production at the Provincetown Theater with the character names as they now stand in this version. El Gallo uh, <laughs> is Bo Jaquette. Matt Huckleby is Harrison Fish. Louis Bellamy is Peter Toto. The Mute is Chanton Varen Collins. Mildred Huckleby, Sarah Fitzpatrick, Bessie Mae Bellamy, <laughs> Megan Amores, Hen- Henry Albertson, uh, Jay Bear, and uh, Mortimer Kenneth Lonergan. Um, th- those are the old actor and the and his. Uh, well, what used to be an Indian, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Didn't yeah. Mortimer used to be? Well, he would mm-hmm. play an Indian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't happen so much anymore. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, Mortimer uh, was played by Kenneth Lonergan, who was the town crier in Provincetown, and the audience really loved having him in it. They even worked his. Um, they let him bring his cry, town crier's bell on stage and ring it at one point, <laughs> and everybody <laughs> just went nuts on that. Uh, it was a delightful production. I was not sure how this would work. I thought it worked very beautifully. Uh, Tom seems to have taken a lot of care in revising it so that it works very, very well um, for two uh, boys in love and two mothers. Um Interesting that some of the changes uh, in the lyrics and the book were actually unrelated to that and and just uh, changes that have been made, um, you know, due to uh, changing uh, perspectives and tastes and uh, uh, political correctness and things like that. The the rape number, uh, which the actual title of which is, is depends on what you pay. 
that has been fiddled with for decades now, literally, mm-hmm. um, uh, on stage. And uh, uh, when they made the film, the the very little known film of the Fantastics, um, they it was a completely new song with a completely different melody. Uh, although I think based on music that was already in the show, uh, but here we have. Um, Yet another revision than the ones that I've already heard. This the music is exactly, exactly as you hear it on the original cast album, but much of the lyrics are changed. Instead of rape, now they sing raid, and that that works actually very well in you context. Bet. I'm I'm surprised that that didn't occur to them uh, a long, long, long time ago. Um, it, it's the perfect solution. That must have been a light bulb moment for Tom Jones. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it happens um, to all of us, so I shouldn't be critical. Yeah, yeah. So raid is in there. Abduction is in there uh, a lot. Um, uh, instead of uh, oh, oh, what else? Other songs. Uh, this is interesting. The final line of um, "Never Say No," the the father's song, now the mother's song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always it's about how uh kids if you say no to a, a kid he'll do exactly what you're telling him what not to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and vice versa um so the final line of it always you know for 60 years 70 years uh has always been make sure you never say no but now it's make sure you always say no mm-hmm. uh and that works too because they're they're they're, they're mm-hmm. talking about so, the opposite yeah. make sure you always say no if you want the kids to do something right hmm. yeah so uh that was interesting um uh other little changes um uh louisa now lewis uh instead of singing uh but i want much more than keeping house sings but i want much more than this small town mm-hmm. and instead of uh to wear my hair unfastened so it billows to the floor he now sings to let my hair keep growing till it billows to the floor mm-hmm. um so interesting. Uh, oh, and and here, this uh, you must have caught this, Peter, unless it's a recent edition. The final, well, the point of the Fantastics. Need I, need I, you know, uh, re- recap the plot at this point? Is that the two fathers or mothers build a wall uh, between their properties because they want their children mm-hmm. um, to get together? Uh, you know, uh, as as boyfriend and girlfriend and they figure if they tell them not to and mm-hmm. if they say they're having a feud then the kids will do exactly that um so that's the plot but uh but the final line of the play uh before the reprise of try to remember has always been um the the one of the fathers says let's put put uh, let's take down the wall again and El Gallo has always said, no, leave the wall. You must always leave the wall. But now he says, no, leave the wall. It's not about the wall. Mm-hmm. Which I have to think about that. I mean, it sounds a little new agey, uh, but I guess that works. <laughs> I guess that works as uh, well, too. Um, anyway, uh, I really loved it. I thought the... Uh, uh, whenever you see a show in Provincetown, you you don't know what you're going to get because the talent pool is so uh, so much smaller than uh, you have here. Because it is, uh, I should um, stress it. It's basically community theater level. Uh, I mean, sometimes they will job in someone with with more professional credits, but uh, for the most part, people are not a union and they're not uh, they're not professional actors. But 
in this case, they really, um, they really got some very good people for all of those roles. Uh, I, I should mention um, the music was beautifully done. Um, but uh, John Thomas is the name of the musical director and pianist. And uh, although I, I objected to a couple of his tempos or tempi, uh, I yeah. thought I thought soon it's going to rain was a little too fast, and they were you was a little too slow. But for the most part, he did a beautiful job. And in this case, um, it was piano, bass, and uh, cello, uh, played by uh, the fellow who played the mute. Uh, also doubled as the cellist Chanton Varen Collins, and he played so beautifully. It really added, really added to the experience. Interesting thing there is that when they went to make the original cast recording of, uh, of the Fantastics in 1960, <laughs> um, initially they planned to add more, um, more instruments. So there were two pianos on that original cast album although there was only one in at the uh um Sullivan Street Playhouse and then also they were going to add a cello and they did add a cello to the original cast recording but then I forget if it was Harvey uh, or Tom decided they didn't like it so they took out most of it uh but you can hear it on the opening cut of uh, try to remember on the on the original cast album and it was nice to hear it play all through uh this beautiful, gorgeous score by Jones and Schmidt in this really interesting and um, I think very, very viable new version of the Fantastics. There's no question that the cello has become the most valuable instrument in off-Broadway shows in uh, the last uh, 25 years or so, hmm. where in early days of off-Broadway, the xylophone was one you hear all the time, but uh, it, really the cello has become the most valuable player. Let me also say that uh, obviously the audience in Provincetown would be very receptive to such a, uh, a different uh, interpretation of the Fantastics. But how would it go in Flint, Michigan? I was very concerned about that. The mm. audience embraced it. But here's the interesting thing. I did some research and found that Flint, Michigan is considered one of the 10 most liberal towns in the country. How interesting. So there, yeah. Who Michael would Moore. Would be the Michael case? Moore is from Flint. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good point. Yeah. There's a yeah. poster boy for that. Sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, so that was uh, most interesting. The other lyric that uh, I recall, um, and you certainly mentioned the ones that I remembered, but um, obviously there had to be a change of go to town in a golden gown. Yes. <laughs> go to town in a, with a golden crown. Uh, at least it wasn't my um, production. I don't know about yours. But you know what? No, he didn't change it. He is. He, he sang, sang oh, in a golden gown as if he was, funny. you know, going to be a drag sure, queen for the sure, night. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, but anyway, that was the uh, situation uh, in Flint. I wonder if when Tom revised it, I wonder if he also did it for two girls and maybe uh, two fathers or two mothers or a father and a mother. Mm. Uh, oh. uh, you know, it really wouldn't require a lot of changing. Uh, or maybe there's just a note that you can just do it that way. If I remember correctly, and I'm not saying I do, but if I remember correctly, um, the um, Michael Luberis, uh, who's the artistic director of the Flint Repertory Theater, was the one who actually um, 
wrote Tom Jones and said, um, can we do it this way? So my guess is no, that uh, Tom only did it for men because uh, Michael had asked him to do it. Yeah. And I, I should mention David Drake is the artistic director of the uh, Provincetown Theater, and he also directed this show. And he said um, he just had it in his head. He got it in his head to maybe do the Fantastics. And then he he thought um, it would be great to do it with with two boys and he then he thought i wonder if that already exists not knowing that it had just mm. been done <laughs> isn't that something yeah. yeah and so he he fortunately found out that it had been done in flint and then he wrote to the whoever the rights holders or or, or tom uh directly and they gave him the blessing for uh you know they they build this as the east coast premiere of the this new version do you guys uh, know if there is a, a, a gender swapped or uh, altered uh, um, last five years? I, I sort of feel like I did see it last five years or two men in it. I heard about it. I didn't see it. Oh, that's that's interesting. Uh, of course, there's. But I have, you know. to, have to email Jason and see if uh, he knows of anything about that. But yeah. I, I wonder if you could, because uh, you could, you know. You could put out multiple versions of it. So. Sure, absolutely. All right. So uh, Peter got over to the York Theater to see 18 Minutes of Fame with uh, Barbara Minkus. She got three extra minutes, did she? <laughs> yes, indeed, she did. Uh, I was very, very pleased to see this uh, life story of Barbara Minkus, who may not be known to very many people, but um, I was there in 1968 to see her stop the show, The Education of Hyman Kaplan, uh, a show that has always been uh, said to have bad luck because it happened to open on the same night that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Well, luckily, I was in an earlier preview, and I'm telling you, I mean this. I still can hear the applause that she received as I was sitting in the mezzanine of what was then the Alvin Theater. Um, it, it it was it was incredible, and the voice was so strong. Happily. The voice is still strong. There are times when she comes out with notes that you, you you actually push your head back in astonishment that she can do that. But it's a wonderful life story as well. And you hear some anecdotes about some people which are very nice and some that are not so nice. Danny Kay, I'm talking to you. And um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the stories we hear about Danny Kay. I'm I mean, shocked. Yeah, really. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right. So anyway, but she's a wonderful storyteller. And even though this was done at the York for only two nights, I do hope it's going to get more of a life because it really deserves uh, more of a life. And she certainly should be heard, especially when she sings. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was just a couple of uh, performances at the York. Um but the York has got lots and lots of things going on. I have a link to the York on our website so that you can check it out. All right. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia in the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to it to us and apple podcast has many ways to get us you can listen to us and support us through patreon that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash broadway radio and get all of our episodes earlier than others like the uh all the drama that we talked about earlier in the uh broadcast 
uh, as well as this week on Broadway and today on Broadway. Get everything earlier than everybody else and support Broadway Radio directly. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Google Play. And the new Stitcher platform, if you are listening to us on Stitcher, you have to change your platform. All right, Peter. So do we have an answer to last week's question? One could argue that Ella Peterson might well have seen N. Richard Nash's play The Rainmaker on Broadway. Why? Well, when Ella in Bells Are Ringing pretends to be someone else, she drops the name Melisande, the same name that Starbuck gives Lizzie in The Rainmaker as well as 110 in the Shade, though that came later. Tony Janicki was the first to get it for the second week in a row, followed by Arthur Robinson, Steve Bell, Jeff Falenga, Sean Logan, and Brigadude. But I also want to mention uh, that um, Josh Israel got the question about She Loves Me the week before, and I apologize because I did not include him the previous week. This week's question, granted... If this leading character in a Tony-winning musical were still working today, she'd be quite old. But if she was still in the same job, and if she sent out emails to her underlings in which she wrote in all capital letters, what expression might the employees repeat which they actually had sung during her first number in the show? All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com and we'll let you know if you're on the right track. You know, uh, Peter, if it, you know, if Death Becomes Her had come to Broadway before this question, I wonder if the answer would be different. <laughs> All right, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we very recently lost Jimmy Buffett, uh, who, uh, became an official um, honorary, I guess, <laughs> uh, Broadway guy uh, with the production of that show. Uh, what was it? Escape to Margaritaville? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I forgot to look it up. Um, and that wasn't around very long, but uh, I, I remember it, uh, that we discussed at the time. It's so interesting to me. A friend of mine had predicted that it was going to be a phenomenal hit uh, because of Jimmy Buffett's popularity uh, throughout the country and throughout the world. Um, and not only his songs, but, uh, you know, he's also known as a, as an entrepreneur and as an author, and he's really very, very famous person. Um, but that didn't happen. And I, I think uh, it was a combination of the fact that his audience – uh, is not necessarily a quote-unquote Broadway audience. Uh, and also, at the time of that show, um, I believe Mr. Buffett was still touring himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, I guess a lot of people said, well, why would I want to go see that uh, You know, when I can see the real thing? Uh, so it really did not run very long at all. Um, but it, it did happen. And uh, so our opener... Uh, for today is the song Margaritaville, uh, which uh, I believe I, I read in one of his obits that, believe it or not, it was his only top 10 hit. Uh, really? Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it said that. I mean, you know, there were other hits, but just uh, the only one to actually make it into the top 10. Um, and our closer is one of the most beautiful of 
the so so many beautiful songs from the Fantastics, they were you um, in this recording uh, from the original off-Broadway cast sung gorgeously by Rita Gardner and Kenneth Nelson. So back to Jimmy Buffett for a second. Mm. So Mar- Escape to Margaritaville ran March 15th, 2018 to July 1st, 2018. Um, but did you know that he had two shows on Broadway before that? You mean uh, one person? Uh, well, you mean concert shows? So Big Fish and Dr. Zhivago oh. were produced by Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> really? And Diana, the musical, was produced by Jimmy Buffett. Wow. 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 So he had his fingers in Broadway deeper than we all thought and knew. Apparently so, yeah. So, I can't say I, mean, I haven't noticed it. I mean, to go from uh, Big Fish and Dr. Zhivago to bringing his own musical and then investing or producing in Diana the musical I mean he it, mm. you know he, it seemed like he must have had a special place in his heart for Broadway I guess yeah so that's really wonderful so on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway bye 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 Come to